When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, ZPAC. Well, I am very excited today because I have the chief medical officer of Athena Health, but none of that matters. At all. At all. He's an emergency physician. Right. His name is Kevin Bon. I call him Bon. It's actually pronounced Ban. I like the Bon. It's Bon because you're a Hungarian Jew by descent. In, in, in fact, the name comes from my grandfather, whose last name was Burgle. But when he came across the United States, he took the name Bon, which was actually um, his pen name. Um, He's a writer. He was was a writer. So um, it should be pronounced Bon. We're in America, so it's Ban. Uh, But it really should be Burgle. So it's... it's (laughs) It's a really complicated Ban, Bond, Burgle, Potato, Tomato, Nuclear Reactor. They're all, they're all on this record. It's all good. I'm good today. Man, what a pleasure to have you here. So there's a reason that you're here. Uh, number one, you're in Vegas. And I was like, come be on the show. Right. But number next, as we say when we dictate, um, you're an emergency physician at Harvard for many years, now chief medical officer of Athena. And you are really interested in this idea that many people call burnout. I'm now starting to call moral injury in, among physicians and how we might be able to address it. Um, because both of us have been in that ringer. And, and actually, you, you've been all around the world doing it, actually, which we'll get to later. But <laughs> this idea that you know the front lines of primary care are happening in the emergency department and that technology can either make that easier or harder and right. that all these regulations and all these rules that we have to satisfy to just do what we went into this to do, which is connect with fellow human beings, it just makes it an impossible task. And then we burn out, which is really we have this moral injury because we're not able to do the right thing for the patient. Yeah, in a really complicated system where we where it happens day in and day out, where you know, you're trying to do the right thing, but you're overwhelmed by the system. I think when I was training back in the early 2000s, there were about 80 million emergency department visits per year. Now they're like 140 million. And this is not just about the ED, this is about everyone who's impacted by that. The inpatient side, the specialists, the surgeons, everyone. Dude, we thought it was busy back then because I trained the same time you did. Oh yeah. We thought it was busy then. We started instituting caps. We were the we were the gener- the one year before the caps went in where yeah. you had to and uh, we were like this is unsustainable. Totally. And now it's vastly Worse. unsustainable. I was talking to a buddy over the weekend, a guy who I trained with. Uh, he's the director of an, a community emergency department in Massachusetts. Uh, I believe it might have the highest volume in the state. They see over 100,000 patients every year, okay? Wow. He's got like 60 beds, and last week when he was working clinically, um, he went in to do an overnight, and there were 70 boarders. So 70 people <sighs> waiting for a bed, plus he's trying to r- run 60 rooms. Like, imagine that, sort of day in and day out, and all the paper cuts. I like the way you frame it, moral injury, and I'm, I'm kind of familiar with that term. Yeah. Because it's a complicated problem. And I know I'm here, you know, uh, Chief Medical Officer, Athena Health, and 
we have to think about the electronic health record and, and the role it plays, but it's much more complex than that. You could fix the EMR problem tomorrow and you wouldn't fix the problem. You know, you, you nailed it. The EMR is just a symptom because what the EMR is doing is it, it's complying with this already jacked up system. And That's then, it. And it's helping us to comply with a jacked up system. But we know that the system's jacked up, it, it, at least unconsciously. You know what's interesting? I don't think it's a conscious knowledge anymore because people have, have been conditioned to just accept this matrix that we live in, <laughs> Yes. right? They don't see the matrix. You give right. them the red pill, like for example, let them work in like a, the kind of clinic we built, Turntable Health or one of right. our Aura's clinics or a direct primary care clinic or a really advanced you know, foreign uh, hospital, something like that. And they will see, oh, you can actually just take care of patients, do the right thing for the patient and do well financially, that's a big deal. Well, then the moral conflict is gone. Yes. The conflict, it, 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 And the feeling is completely different right, to those people because they're really connected to the reason why they went into, into healthcare, right? I'm thinking right away, like most of what, when you think about the electronic health record, most of what's soul sucking, gut wrenching, is the stuff around, you know, clicking these boxes and doing all this documentation for government programs or payer programs that don't really correlate with care, right? Yeah, yeah. And with quality. Yeah. And so that just, it, it, day in and day out, is uh, mind numbing to people. Take that away, and all of a sudden they're just thinking about the reason why they went into healthcare and connecting with their patients, and it feels different. You know, um, I like to think of it in terms of like, what was the best shift you had or the best day you had? Remember back to that. What was happening? Okay, I, the, paper, the system was down. I couldn't chart. So I just had to talk to patients. I spent yeah. time with them or I had fewer patients that day for some glitch in the matrix. And so I was able to sit and spend time, really connect with the team was there and they were learning and we were teaching each other and everybody was firing on all cylinders in this team. And I felt deeply connected, not just to my patient, but to my colleagues and to my purpose all at once. And I left energized, ready to work even harder. Like that's the thing, they think we don't wanna work. Right, that's the paradox yeah. is that it's not that you necessarily want to work less. And what's interesting is that even 50% of physicians who uh, say that they're burned out still feel fulfilled in terms of the interactions they're having with their yeah, patients, yeah. right? So this is not about like just wanting to like check out and be done with it. it. It's wanting to do the things that you think are high value and the things that matter to you. You, you asked me the question that you reflect back on that shift. One of the things I did was, I was an, and I'm an early adopter, I'm one of those people like, all right, give it to me, I'll give it a shot. Um, we started talking about scribes. So I was one of the people like, give me a scribe. It was the best thing that I ever mm. I ever did. Like, mm. I'm pretty convinced, I don't know a provider who wants to have an electronic health record in their life. I mean, we yeah. have to figure out a way, and we can talk about this, you know, to make the electronic health record be something that puts wind in the sails and not, not something that prevents you from, from, from working. But that scribe allowed me to do the stuff that I thought I should be doing as an academic doctor. Like what? Well, taking care of patients and communicating with their families, talking to the paramedics, teaching the residents. Wait, 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 wait. You talk to the paramedics? Oh, yeah. Big time. Who, who are you, man? <laughs> Come on. I'm such an aberration. Right? So many of our fans are paramedics, and they're like, no one talks to us, no one listens to us, they don't take us seriously, Huge we do mistake. all this work. Yeah. But it's, it's a real one. Um, at Beth Israel Deaconess in, in Boston, we had to work on that. Literally say, as trauma patients were being brought in, allow the patient to die for 15 seconds, okay? so that you can listen to the paramedics. Uh -huh. Like we, we would not allow anyone to put hands on the patient until report was taken. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that important. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I learned having the scribe was that I was focusing now on all the things that I wanted to be doing, right? And I would end my shift feeling pretty fulfilled. Look, there's always good days and bad days, but 
I, I felt like I was doing the thing that I was there to do, and I didn't have two hours of charting like I did, you know, every other ship before the scribe. So well, you know, you know, and, and a good parallel to that is uh, the old academic practice, like I used to have, where the residents would write the notes. You would just be present. Oh yeah, present for the team, present for the patient, present there. Yeah, agree it, with above those. Agree, agree with above. You can't do it anymore. Days. Can't yeah. great days because you you <laughs> you got to be present with the patient and form those connections. That yesterday I did this rant for my show, where I was like. Okay, why the hell do we have this show? Why do we have this movement? What is the heart of it? The heart of it is love. And then you sound spooky. But what is love? It's a connection between human beings. We've broken the connection. That's why the scribe, it sounds like, allowed you to, to re reconnect. Reconnect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, that was apparent to everyone. Um, I was seeing patients more safely. Um, teaching scores went up. Patient status. I mean, all that stuff comes together. Right. Um, so I'm a big believer that we have to think about um, resources and tools that can help us kind of get there. Um, let, yeah. let, let, you know, so this, this idea of tools and things, but before, before we go down that path, I want to, want to say one objection. So, you know, the people at Kaiser will say, well, we looked at scribes and it didn't make them, uh, didn't make the doctors any more efficient. Oh, it doesn't. Oh no, I get that. 100%. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, well, because what I, what most people do when they're busy seeing patients is they continue to see patients and they do the documentation later. Right. So I was finishing every shift and um, you know, I would try to get my charts done just because that's what I wanted to do and I was spending two to sometimes three hours after my shift yeah. doing that. Um, so I wasn't seeing less patients. Right. I just wasn't documenting during the, the, the visit. The visit. Yeah. Um, and, and so what happens then, when in the alpha phase of that, when the department was paying for it, it was all good because they were paying for it and we were seeing what the deal was, but I wasn't seeing more patients. They would say things like, well, you need to see about one to maybe two more patients a shift to justify the cost of the scribe. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't seeing one to two more patients per shift because you know, what I was doing was not documenting two and a half hours yeah. after. Uh, what I was doing was connecting wholly during the shift, but I wasn't doing more from an RVU or a, a financial status. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. But I chose anyway to continue to pay for the scribe because I thought it was that powerful. Ah, no, so, okay, so all these things are little symptoms and little pieces and, of a potential solution, but what's interesting right. is one thing you said, which is now you're present with the patient during the visit. And, and in, in emergency medicine, that's crucial because you're looking at body language, you're reading cues, you're, you're getting the smells and the sights and the sounds. Yeah. And I remember doing this very clearly. If you have a chart open with you and you're typing and you're talking to the patient, your mind is, is absolutely split. Uh, you cannot multitask. It is movement of attention back and forth, which means your attention is never focused. It's always darting back and forth. Mm -hmm. So to be able to solve that, in my mind, you'd have to study it, but it seems to me like it would lead to better satisfaction, better outcomes, and lower costs long run, even though you're not seeing more patients. Do you agree, or do you think that's crazy? No, I think that that's right. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think that that's how the system is set up right now, right? So right. Um, I was personally on a P&L system, right? So I needed to see a certain number of patients to justify my salary, and, and um, that, in general, cuts across all of the system when you're talking about fee-for-service. Mm -hmm. So um, when you talk about moral injury, it's it's, I like that concept because this is a really complex problem that's multifactorial. Like I said, you know, we can get rid of the electronic health record and we still have the problem. So there are different things that we need to do, and part of that is thinking about the way in, in which healthcare works and the system in which we're working. I think value-based care is trying to do that. Mm. It's just going way too slow. It's slow, yeah. And even the concept, you know, these they have, we have all the catchphrases, value-based care, and right. you know, what does it really mean? It means doing good for the patient 
means doing well financially. That's value. Yeah. And meaning providing the best quality at the lowest cost with the best convenience and experience. Sure. That's quality. But one factor that often is not in that, and that's what I liked about you know, kind of uh, working with the folks at Athena. That's the reason we've worked with you on music videos and things like that in the past. Yeah. Is that you guys actually care about the physician and the and the nurses and the frontline staff, you know, because you were founded by someone who was a paramedic. And so this idea that there's a fourth component, which is staff satisfaction, caregiver satisfaction. And it's not, satisfaction sounds very trite. It's our connection to our purpose and our patients. Is that being facilitated? Right. And you're right, you could get rid of the technology and you would still have the problem because we're incentivized incorrectly, the value stuff isn't here yet. Mm -hmm. our, 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 we have this fragmented Byzantine system that is still has relics of the 20th century in terms of this cowboy autonomy, mm -hmm. but is trying to homogenize everything in a new way that it's, it's also wrong. Yeah. So what has to transcend is this sort of 3.0 vision. You know, we, we've um, been working on this at Athena and, and um, we've just taken concepts from outside of healthcare, which is um, a, a good place to start maybe, and um, talked about capability. So um, what does it take for a physician to feel capable? Now, I don't love the term because for a physician, if I say capable, a yeah. lot of times they're thinking fund of knowledge, what am right. I capable? And that's not exactly what we, mean, what we mean by it. It really breaks down into three different things. You know, we're talking about, do you have the resources to get your job done? Do you have the tools to get the job done? And then the third piece of it is, do you have the latitude? And, and as you start to frame it like that, it gets interesting, right? All of a sudden, there's, it becomes actionable in a way. And then we follow that up even with another uh, survey that we did across Hippocrates, which is kind of the beauty of, of so Athena. So you guys, you guys own Hippocrates. We do, yeah, Dude, we I... do. Not only are we single instance in terms of this network, the you know, Athena net that we've built, but we also have Hippocrates where we connect uh, with physicians, and that's a, a big deal. At, at what time is Athena net going to go sentient and destroy humanity? It sounds like something- <laughs> It's happening right, at, right now. Yeah, that's right. Speak. It was I'm, 2018. I'm, dist I'm distracting you. <laughs> As it's happening. I'm like, I thought I smelled nuclear yeah. nuclear yeah. missiles launching. That's us taking over. Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> Congratulations, man. You Feels beat good. the AI. Really it good. does feel good yeah. to destroy humanity. Um, now, now, getting back to the humanity piece, it's interesting because when you talk about capability, you're talking about tools, resources, and latitude. Now, latitude, I consider, I use the word autonomy. You guys are big nerds. Yeah, I, I like autonomy. Autonomy is yeah. good, but yeah. it's all semantics. But, but yeah. what's interesting is you guys were studying this, and me and Jessica Sweeney-Plath did a show about this, actually, at your headquarters a while back, because I was very compelled by this idea. And then I went back recently, and I was looking through my writing on my website about Health 3.0. Mm -hmm. And I talk about Health 1.0, this old cottage industry, Health 2.0, the, the matrix that we're living in now, <laughs> yeah. and Health 3.0. And what I said, there was a line in there, and this was years ago that I wrote this, Again, we reclaim the humanity and the repersonalization of medicine by having the tools, resources, and autonomy. Did you really write that? I actually wrote that to, com to care for our patients. Yeah. And so when I heard you were gonna be in town, I was like, you know, this connection means that the most brilliant mind in medicine, okay? <laughs> thought of this already, which well, means- that's you, okay. No, that was... <laughs> no it's actually Dr. Confused. Oz, it's Dr. Oz. Um, <laughs> but, but this idea that then these things converge, it's not just business speak. Right. It actually, from people on the front lines, this is how it feels. If look, if we had, and well, let's 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 dig into it a little. So, w what do you mean by resources? Um, you know, so let's take something like loneliness. Okay, um, something that people are talking about more and more. 
Um, we so had Vivek Murthy on the show, former Surgeon General, talking about loneliness. Yeah. It's his passion project now. Yeah, it's, it's a really big deal. There are people like Sachin Jane out of Caremore in California right. that are really interested in it. There are a lot of people who are interested in it. But if you're a physician sitting in front of a patient and you're concerned that maybe loneliness plays a part of this, but you have no resources by which you can impact that, would you ask the question? No. No. If, I'll tell you right now, a provider will never ask a question that they don't feel like they can act on. Mm -hmm. I, my, my example is I, I started off, I matched in urology, and I did two years of general surgery, six months of urology. You gotta have a good sense of humor for urology. Man. Oh, it's good. It's great yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, did I ever tell you about the song I wanted to do? Urology based? Yeah, it was, about, it was about, ooh, I'm a rebel just for kicks now. But it was gonna be, ooh, I'm a doctor just for now. Uh, I had to bleep it out because it's a family show. Yeah, that's <laughs> But it's good. I like where you're going with that. I, I'm glad you, you did. You might have a future in this. You know what? Um, so, <laughs> Mama so, says so during my residency, it was right around the time that Viagra came out. And you would never have asked about erectile dysfunction before because there really wasn't much to do about it. But now all of a sudden there's this little pill. And we were like, you know, hey, any more, any more questions before our, we finish our visit? And um, they'd be like, well, no, no, well, and then you'd bring up the topic and you'd see them sort of get interested. And, and then, but you felt kind of empowered because there was this resource, a medication, that could actually fix a problem that's a big problem, right? You know, and, and, and funnily enough, now that you're asking all these questions, now we have an epidemic of nursing home syphilis and gonorrhea. So <laughs> you're you welcome. Say, you, have to, you, you have to be careful because you can take this pill, it might cause a heart attack, but. What? That's a pretty good way to die. It's a good right? way to go out. It's a good way to it's go out. It's a good way to so, go out. No, but you're but, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, go ahead. That go ahead. whole concept of having to have the resources, whether it's for loneliness, um, you know, transportation's a big deal. All these different things that are really now being called social, social determinants of health. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming wary of that. Yeah, that. tell me, tell me. Because uh, I use it I'm a lot concerned. and I feel a little bit weird about it because it, it, it's more than that. It's just these are our patients' lives. What is the social determinants of health? It's a, this is their life, and here's the tiny piece of it that intersects us. And I hope too that it's not being used to say something about our patients about their their um, that their social poor. status. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, Racial that's status. That's where I get a little yeah. bit concerned. Yeah, we yeah. should just say what it is. But these are the social aspects that get in the way of us taking good care of our patients. Right. I spent eight years in Italy uh, on behalf of Harvard. I know tough tough what job. What a light guy, you guys. Great gig. Ivory Tower. Buttheads. Yes. To, you know, go to go to Italy. Yeah. yeah. And, and live in Florence and Florence, my favorite city in the yeah. world. And you go and live there. Yeah. I'm married to a woman from Florence. Both of my kids are born there. It's like I know. It's more and more infuriating as I'm so angry right now. <laughs> you know, it's like You're if, fuming inside. if I were Bruce Banner, already like green veins would be popping yeah. out and I Or Doc Vader's gonna pop out and We got don't let me forget talk about the Doc Vader index. Okay. All right. Oh yeah, we have to talk about Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. But um, what was interesting while I was there was really appreciating how much emphasis they put onto the social aspects. You know, that's that 80%, 20%, and we've got it Backwards. flipped where everything has to be medicalized when they're really social issues. And, yeah. and I think we're gaining appreciation, and like anything, you have to, uh, the first step in solving a problem is saying, hey, we got a problem. Right. Let's solve the problem. Right. Could you imagine America going to a 12 step program? <laughs> Hi, I'm America, and uh, I'm a social determinant, a healthaholic. Uh, I, uh, you know, I have a sponsor. I believe in a higher power. His name is Gozer the Gozerian. You're pretty good at this. You know, no formal training. Yeah. You were in you were in media too. You didn't you do some reporting? Oh, you're going way back. I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. Just just yeah, I think, we, I think yeah. in fact maybe I can teach you something about medical communication. Is that <laughs> how would how would yeah? That's a joke. You know that. But that you is know, a joke. I, I'm not sure it is because I want to see how would you start a show. Uh, as a reporter, because you did medical reporting in Boston, right? How, just, just, start, oh, yeah. just give me, do your voice. 
That's not the only thing. Now, this is my joke voice about doing that. I like the joke. I did medical reporting. You're right. A couple of years in New York City and then three years in Boston while I was doing my residency, which was a fun thing to do and cool, and brought in a little extra cash so that I could date my girlfriend who was in Italy and... So. So you're basically the anti Anthony Bourdain minus you know severe depression, you know <laughs> that I can tell. Anyways, but yeah, so tell me more a, about Italy. Tell me more about Italy. Um, you know, I think that was my first you know humbling experience ultimately, because you know we went there in our typical uh, American maybe slash Harvard um, way. We were making fun of things that they were doing and um, things that we now do, and <laughs> and um, and I I don't think it sunk in immediately, but I saw what it looked like to think about. Uh, population health management, to use a, a, yeah, a term. To use the, yeah. And I came back from Italy after eight years. I was back and forth uh, and, um, and tried to make sense of that and got closer and closer to population health management, which is actually how I got over to Athena, uh, which was doing population health management. Oh, because you were working on that. Athena was like, we're trying to do better on that angle. And, yeah, uh, yeah they're trying to build that out. And um, for me, it was a great um, experience because I got outside of Boston. Right. Uh, all of us are, are victim to being sort the of ivory tower. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was and that way at Stanford. Yeah. It, you know, and, and it's a good idea to get out of it. And so I've had the pleasure of working with large organizations, um, you know, on the West Coast and small organizations uh, in Western North Carolina that do like really great work who, who are actually executing on the stuff that we were talking about but never really quite getting done. Interesting. So well, you it's know, been so a great experience. Have yeah. you ever had to set up an East Coast, West Coast rap battle? Because I was just listening to California knows how to party, knows how to party with Dr. Dre and Tupac. And he said some really inflammatory things about the East Coast that I I'm think so, I'm upset about that. You in should some be, way, you and should I feel be. like I want to act on that, but I don't really know how to. So maybe you can help me with that. Today. Let me help you. Think of think of these rap battle feuds as kind of like in the old days, D'Artagnan. You take a white glove and you slap someone off the face. Yes. Now you just fill them full of bullet holes and then claim to you know have uh, have been with their girlfriend. That that's apparently it strikes me as extreme. I like it, the it's yeah. It, you it's know, somewhat extreme. It does ramp it up. There's a template. It's a formula. Uh, <laughs> you, need, you need to gradually get to the point where you're filling some of the bullets and yeah. <laughs> you don't just you don't go zero to bullets in like five seconds. You start with there's a little beef and then you put out a track. Yep. You know, California knows how to party. And then maybe North Carolina no, that would like, really piss people off. It, it would anger the North Carolinians who would then say, but but East Side is the yeast side, or whatever their slogan is. Right. Probably don't go with East Side is the yeast side. It doesn't feel like the right one. But we're iterating here. We're, we're iterating. This yeah. is a process. Yeah. That's what, and that's what I like about it. So back to population health. <laughs> when you uh, when when you looked at this, now here's a question. So when you went to Athena, this is just I'm intellectually curious about this. Did you start as chief medical officer, or did you have to stab your way to the top? Uh, no and no. Um, <laughs> no, I just went to Athena. I, I went to Athena uh, because I thought that there was an opportunity to do something that I was really interested in every day. Yeah. Um, and so I went there uh, to lead, to build out the population health team. Um, so I was not the chief medical officer at that time. Got it. Um, but then you killed the chief medical officer <laughs> and were able to just slide in. Well, we got into a wrap. A wrap, yeah, a little and, beef. And then all the right, right. happened. It was like yeah. a Drake. No, no, that didn't happen either, but... <laughs> Nobody will but believe that. So. I'm curious because a lot of I think a lot of doctors are looking to do other things, right? right? Because of this, they don't feel capable right. in their job to take care of patients. So they're like, well, maybe I can fix the system. Do you, are you hopeful that that is doable? Like working in a company, can you actually move the dial on making doctors feel like they have better resources, better uh, tools, and better uh, yeah, autonomy? Yeah, I think things have gotten significantly 
um, the, the conversation has really moved along quite a bit. Mm. It kind of feels like we're like puttering along and, and you know, maybe it's just me being an optimist, but I kind of feel like there's an inflection point. There's this tip, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's tipping point that, yep. that we're going to hit. Um, I think we have been struggling with all this government regulation. I mean, the Obama years put a lot of regulation on and, and um, some of that uh, was necessary and well-intentioned, but got sort of sideways on us to a certain extent. I don't have, a, a, I don't think we're going to see a lot of that in the, in the next uh, couple of years, and it's a good time for us to kind of figure out what matters. Yeah. I think that's what we're trying to do too. Um, there's like no widget for yeah. an electronic health record that's going to fix your problem. So we're trying to understand the problem. That's why we're doing this research around capability and trying to understand burnout, uh, which is something that we've got a little bit closer to. Um, and and yeah, I'm hopeful that as leadership recognizes it as a problem, mm. uh, it'll it'll do something to impact it and do something meaningful. I'm not talking about you know mindfulness yeah, and meditation, yeah, yeah. and I believe in all those things. Yeah, those raised, things are great. I'm raised by kind of a hippie freak who got us going on on transcendental meditation. I think when I was nine years old, oh, I do yoga. I love all yeah. that. You know? I'm with you, brother. But but I don't think that's going to solve the problem, right? And I think that we have to understand that there are a bunch of different elements, and it starts with leadership, and it starts with the communication, uh, real communication with the folks at the front line, and then acting on those things in a way that makes their lives uh, different. I would start there before the HR, although the HR is something we should focus on. Yeah, I mean, you said a lot of stuff that I uh, want to cheer for. One is that we're at a tipping point, yes. I hope so. We're at a tipping point. And this is this is part of the reason we even do our show is that we're sensing this tipping point. You know, just on this Facebook channel, there's 1.1 million healthcare people. What? Yeah, I know. You're famous. <laughs> You're already famous. Back to you, Bob. <laughs> I'm Kevin Ban. Should be pronounced Bond, but also Burgle. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, but but this idea that things have gotten so bad. And now we do, you're right, the regulatory, there's a regulatory gap now where we know we're not going to get new regulations for a period so we can oh, yeah. start to figure out what matters right. and then create a, a, a better way of doing things. And whether that's starting by fixing these ideas of moral injury through providing better resources so now we have better support maybe, better tools, better EHR, yeah. better, better diagnostic software, better AI that informs us. And again, these are catchphrases, but better population health. No, but I think those, that matters. You know, We've been dumping information into this electronic health record, which is probably just a glorified um, you know, billing, billing, tool, billing, yeah. To a wait a minute, wait, stop, stop, stop. You're the chief medical officer of a major EMR company, and you just said it's a glorified billing platform. Well, that's where it started. Yeah. I mean, let's talk. For, let's stop for a second and and say, what if it it had not been about billing? Mm. What if it had been about um, trying to help doctors be more efficient, effective, productive? What if it, were, it had been about um, uh, taking better care of patients um, in in such a way that they were really connected and engaged, and and so were the physicians, uh, and that 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 would all result in better outcomes and physicians not being so burned out. What would it look like? It might look more like Amazon with apps. Yeah. Right. And you could be like, yeah, I like that app, but you know, I want this one. I want that one. The urology app. Yeah. I, I you uh, know. I want the app that uh, listens to me. Uh, while I'm in the room with my patient, and, and then, and then that exists, right? That yeah, stuff is yeah, out there. We yeah. have that in our marketplace. Um, you know, you could choose that uh, and build something that would help you uh, engage better with your patients and, and drive better outcomes. That's not what happened. But it might have looked like that had that been the true north up front, right? Ah, so can we get there? Um, so it's hard, right? Because yeah. now, now you've sort of built something. There's all this legacy stuff behind it. We've got uh, really talented, smart people who are um, 
deeply committed to making healthcare better, mm. you know, unbreaking healthcare mm -hmm. and letting, letting doctors, doctors be doctors, be doctors yeah. right? It's a really mm -hmm. cool concept. Um, and they are times are working on meaning, meaningful use certification when they'd rather be doing the things that I just mentioned that will actually help you take better care of your patients, right? So, so it's hard when you start in a certain place and then you try to, to, to move it, but we have to move it. And um, I think we're starting to see that. You know, this is a time when interoperability integration might be possible. Um, there are moments where I feel like, has that failed? And we should rely on patients to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, should we be putting more power into the hands of the patient so that they can do their job? Give them a is, thumb drive with all their information and... Or, or something even, you know, more tech-savvy. Yeah, wait, wait, they drive. don't use thumb drives anymore? Yeah. What? I go to conferences, they give me thumb drives all the time. You know, but I, I think about the role of the patient and how complicated and difficult it is. Mm. Like, you know this. Oh, like, yeah. Like, I get the call all the time, which is sometimes about healthcare or, you know, making a diagnosis or treatment, but more frequently is about navigating a, mm. an impossible system. Yeah. If you are sick, if you have chronic medical problems in this country, it's a full-time job, and yet you have no tools, right? No so tools. what if we did that, right? And what if doctors got on board with engaging their patients in that way? Mm. What would that look like? So, you know, that, and that's a gr I think that's the key way, and that's why I think clinical leadership matters. So as a doctor, now you're leading, and you can actually make a difference. And I think we're missing that in a lot of aspects of the world. So I had a call, and I don't even know if I should talk about this, but I'm going to because I no longer care. We are, we are so out of the box right we're out now, of the box. man. It's like, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about this whole no, thing. No, you, you, you should feel very good because yeah. this honesty is what people want to hear. And so I had a call with, uh, with Epic. They're PR people. Uh, because they were upset with me because of my rants and ravings about how the electronic medical record, and by the way, why am I not calling it a CHR, was one of their complaints, um, comprehensive health record. Well, when you make it comprehensive and health, then I'll call it that until yeah. then I won't. Yeah. Um, they felt like I wasn't doing justice to the fact that there are good people working very hard to make it better and that they do involve doctors and they do involve clinicians. And one of the things they said was, well, we've built this Maslow's pyramid and we've spent all this time and energy and money building the bottom of the pyramid which is making the chart electronic chart do as much as what paper used to do mm -hmm. and now we're at a point mm -hmm. where we can create poetry and meaning and purpose and I'm like I started using EHRs in the form of epic in 2002 is that right is that yeah you? oh right you were Palo Alto Medical Foundation yeah. Stanford I was there the night it went live and it changed my life for good and bad. Mm -hmm. And you started to see exactly because we went from just like being able to look at our patients in the eye and actually our notes were short because we didn't want to get writer's cramp. And now it was like copy, paste, click, copy, paste, click, yeah. stare at computer, go home, chart for three hours, pajama time, destroyed. So I said, so it's taken how many decades now to get the bottom of the pyramid? But I, I don't see that transcending until you blow up the bottom of the pyramid yeah. and really do something unique. Maybe it's a model where it's apps. Maybe it's a model where the whole incentive structure has changed. Because you know your question, your question is one we should be asking. What if we had built it from the beginning instead of a billing and compliance platform, which had to be done? Yeah. I, I don't blame any company for Yeah, that yeah. could have been an element of what it was about, right. right? But what if we had built it to be something different where that was a part of it? Correct. And I love this idea of like there's a app that will listen to you during the visit, yeah. transcribe it, and populate a, 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 a chart note. Like, think about nursing, okay? So this is something we forget. 
I don't think you forget it because you deal with nurses. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still seeing patients, so I've decided to stay connected. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and it informs this conversation for me still. And, so. and, me, and me too. So when mm -hmm. I see patients at our county hospital, you know, I'm watching the residents holding their, their iPads and just click, 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 click. Right. And sometimes they'll say things like, well, you know, the patient says this, but in Epic, it was documented this, so I'm gonna believe Epic. And you're like, and Epic is shorthand for whatever EHR we're using, right? Yeah, I, yeah right, yeah. exactly. And, this and is not about Epic. This no, is no, about no, it's not. Everyone's struggling with the same stuff. It's, it's like, uh, you know, saying pampers for diapers, you know? It's just, yeah. it's just, I'm just saying well, the chart. I think I hate that, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a Band-Aid, right? So, so uh, you know, in, in that setting, still seeing patients is crucial for physician leadership because I think, I think otherwise you definitely start to detach. You know, one of the worst things that I had to do was run turntable health without seeing patients in turntable health. And, and the oh, re and the re yeah, I, I think I made the assumption that you were seeing patients. Not there. I would see patients in our in our hospital, oh. and if our patients ended up in the hospital. But the thing is, because we were partnered with Iora, they hired the physicians, and they were under their malpractice, and this okay. and this and this, and they wanted to keep it very cohesive because then I would have had to go to all the Iora training sessions and the thing, and so they were like, we don't we don't need you in the clinic, and I was like, but 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 but, and so <laughs> no no no, go to your office. Be you're an administrator. You're now. an administrator, yeah. right? And that was one of the most hard. Now, now I think about that when you did the Doc uh, Vader with the administrator, which is one of my favorite ones. You're like that woman sitting there across the table. I am. Yeah. I would I would meet with the with the docs and I'd be like, so the thing is, we need to basically get more patience here so we can make it sustainable, which means we're gonna have to figure out. And they would say, well, now here's the issue: these patients have all different insurances, and we have a, our homegrown EHR that doesn't bill insurance. Insurance. And so now we're out of network for this patient who's paying out of pocket, but we're in network for this insurance company that's paying our membership fee and this. And it takes us all day just to get through that. I thought we were supposed to be looking at patients in the eye and I'm like, okay, we need to fix that. So we need to narrow down our patient population. Well, you narrow down the patient population, then what happens? You can't fund the overhead. And so I would go to bed at night just in a panic, waking up in a cold sweat at two in the morning, right. going, this is going to fail. And it did. And the biggest relief in my life was the day we finally closed. Cause I'm like, I don't have to be an administrator. Yeah, it must've been. It was hard. And, and again, I'm acting like, oh, woe is me. I had to be an administrator, Kevin. <laughs> but the truth is you, I went from hating administrators and feeling like they were the enemy to really feeling a deep compassion because they're trying their best in a broken system. Oh, I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. When I, when I came back from Italy, I became chief medical officer within the Beth Israel uh, Deaconess Medical S Center system in one of the community hospitals. So I found myself in a, a very similar situation that you're in, like having um, a deep respect for the people at the front line and what they were trying to do, mm -hmm. and yet feeling all the pressures of like, yeah, but we've got to get that catheter out of the bladder. Like, <laughs> I was like, can we not get a catheter out of the bladder or document why in the first 24 hours? Can that not happen? And the, and the answer is like, that is such a complex issue, yeah. right? Um, and I felt very sort of squeezed uh, yeah. by that for sure. Um, I think one of the things you said earlier though is it matters that we have clinical people in leadership. You know, we, we should not allow um, this, this new chapter, this, you're calling it 3.0, this should not happen uh, in the absence of people who take care of patients and understand what that means being a big part of it. And so, so I think that there's great hope, but it means people have to figure it out. And, and it doesn't need to be leaving uh, and going to something 
altogether new and different. It could, it could simply mean being sensitized, believing that this is the right thing to do, and then trying to make some small change where you are. I actually like that quite a bit. And, and I become a lightning rod for people who think that maybe they want to leave clinical practice. Mm. Uh, because they're like, well, you know, Kevin did something different. You know? mm. and, and my advice frequently is, um, you know, the place where you are needs to have transformative change. Be a yeah, part of that. Start there. Yeah. That's what I tell the ZPAC. Although I now I've started to modify it by saying, but if you feel like you, there is, you're absolutely powerless. In other words, everything you've tried has failed, and yeah. you're running up against walls. Walk to a different system. Yes. And because anyone who tells you you're not employable is lying to you. Well, well, I, I agree with that too. If yeah. you try where you are, yeah. And but you got to um, try. Yeah, yeah. You, you ought to try. And and the truth is that. Um, you know, when I think about something like burnout in, in our survey, um, when we asked, you know, in the last 12 months, um, what percentage of the hospital systems actually tried to do something? Yeah. I think it was 72% of the hospitals had, or these systems had done nothing. Yeah. Um, and, and so if you feel like you're in a place like that, yeah. uh, where that is just not interested and just wants to uh, churn and burn, then I understand. And then you're going to need to move towards like-minded people uh, and, and be at a place where you feel like you can contribute, right? So I get that. Um, but there's the 28%, right? There's the 28% of the hospitals that are trying to do something and they need help getting it done. Yeah. Be a part of that if you can. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely, man, absolutely. And the other thing is I think we need to stop shaming clinicians who decide to go into these leadership roles. Have you noticed that's a thing? So, oh yeah, totally. You know, oh, you don't see patients anymore. Well, uh, actually I do. I don't see them all day, every day, because if I did, I wouldn't be able to come up for air enough to do what I'm trying to do. And you need us in leadership. You need more of us in leadership. And so stop shaming, stop eating our, our own. Yeah. You know, because would you rather than have an MBA who, you know, a Harvard MBA doing it? Because they will screw it up. They haven't touched patients. You, right. They need us. We yep. need them too. Yep. But 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 it, it, it's it's a partnership. So let's stop. You know. And and we were talking about Doc Vader and the and the healthcare administrator. Yeah. So it's funny because we did a podcast earlier that hasn't been released yet. I don't think. But no, it's coming out. It's coming uh, out uh, next couple of weeks. And you and I developed a new quality. I measure. actually have to say that it was Jessica Sweeney Platt. That's JSP. Right. JSP did it. It'd be wrong for me to say that was me. Um, it was a brilliant idea of how. Doc Vader, actually I thought about it after and it was so depressing, but uh, <laughs> Doc Vader resonates. And, and I, think, um, I think a joke isn't funny unless there's a moment of truth in it. Uh -huh. uh, otherwise it's just, it's absurdity, right? Yeah, yeah. And so Doc Vader is connecting to um, the ZPAC. ZPAC? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And don't, don't let si Pfizer sue me over that. It's not a drug, people. Yeah, exactly. But it is a drug. <laughs> it can be a drug. Um, <laughs> that's right. But, but you know, um, people are connecting with that. And so if there were an index, I think Jess suggested, we could say like, hey, the ZPAC or the uh, Doc Vader index, the, the DVI. DVI dropped because people are more engaged and people are enjoying what they're doing. And people are like, that's just crazy. What's he talking about? The problem is people get it and people are connecting to it. And that's kind of depressing. You know, I, I, I've always said I have a love-hate relationship with my creation, Doc Vader. Is that true? I, absolutely, because I, I, in many ways, I find him to be the repulsive sort of voice of all that is wrong. 
and he doesn't have solutions. His solutions are lightsaber the hell out of everything, but he's got plenty of complaints. So if he sits there and he's talking to the administrator and he's like, every day it's like the emperor put a lightsaber in my buttocks. Every day. I try <laughs> the to glute- this, this, It's the, right in the cleft, the gluteal, yes. right in the gluteal right there, cleft. Yeah, yeah, it was very- and every day, and that gets 11 million views. Now that tells me that the DVI, the, Do- the Doc Vader index is very high. It, it's means, high. it means that people are resonating with a message that says that something's broken. Now that's wonderful if we're raising awareness to actually change it. If we're just complaining, it's a sad expression of how broken we are. Yeah. So I have this love-hate, so now I kind of use it more as like, let's do something absurd, but let's have the, the, this bigger conversation like you and I are having about how do we actually work to make it better? And people you might think are not on your side, like someone from an EMR company, are yeah. actually deeply on your side. Oh yeah, yeah. 100%. I mean, not only on your side, they're you. They're you. They're you. They care. They want right. it to be better. Uh, all the people in the company want it to be better. Want it to be better, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, th- I think that that matters a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know people who have said, I will only work for physician-led organizations. Mm. Um, I mean, people can get that. Um, I, I think a lot of times it happens through partnership, too. Yeah. Um, we're seeing, you're seeing that more and more. Because the truth is, we're just not trained in some ways to deal with some of the business aspects. And so partnership where you have like this dual or they call it a dyad concept, yeah. where you might have um, a, an administrator coupled with a physician leader yeah. um, can work. But uh, the voice needs to be there. And, and I hope that it won't get lost uh, because we shame one another. I hadn't really thought of it that way, uh, but I think it's right. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm probably seemingly biased in this, but we ought not shame the people who want to be a part of leading what the future ought to look like. We don't need to be managed. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, we're, well, we're smart people. Right? Yeah, and, that's the and, central premise. Right, like we would have figured this thing out. That's why out. managed care never worked. Yeah. Because who was managing us? One doctors, you know. And, and I think that that is sometimes where, we, where there's a total disconnect. Yeah. I have a buddy who's an orthopedic surgeon, went to medical school with him. Is he, does he have guns? Is he just yoked? Um, he, he was probably at one point in his life. <laughs> Does he wear like the cutoff scrubs? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm. He would have. He definitely would. <laughs> oh gosh. You, you kind of get right to who, who he is. Who he I, is. And I almost said his name. I mean, but you I won't said of ortho, it's all it takes, but please continue. Great guy. And, you know, he's, he's uh, working in a hospital and he's doing uh, ortho trauma. Mm. So, really difficult, um, you know, work and um, sort of all hours of the night and whatnot. And, mm. and, and the sense I get every time I talk to him is that the administration just keeps pushing down on top of him, and they're not really getting who he is. They're, they're willing to pay him a little bit more money. He doesn't want more money. He doesn't want more money, he yeah. Want more money. He wants to be able to coach his kid's baseball yeah, team. That's right. You know? That's and, right. And um, so I, th- I think that piece of it matters a great deal, uh, and, uh, and we ought to make sure that our leaders have some understanding of what it means to take care of a patient. So maybe to wrap that into this idea of capability, I think if we help our teams feel and be capable, it means we give them enough resources, we give them good tools, and we give them latitude to take care of the patient in front of them and open up their pajama time so they're not charting at home and do these kind of things that give them a sense of connection. And you know, you kind of said it, it's, it's, it's this, it's the connection even that a scribe allows that allows you to be present 
And, and you know, in all your experience, I'm sure those best shifts were the ones where you connected. Yeah. You know, and... And, and where it, I felt like I made a difference. Right. You know, and, right. and I don't feel like I make a difference when I'm documenting. Um, you know, you hear the top of the license thing, and I don't want to say it, even though I just said it. Uh, <laughs> I've said it, and like I, I regret now, it Now what do I do? But, right. like, give me another way to talk about it, but, right. like, being a doctor or yeah. being a nurse, like, being a paramedic. That's what you ought to be doing, yeah. and that's what you want to be doing. Yep. And anything that distracts from that, there's got to be a way around that. Yep. You know? And so you talk about, like, team-based care. I like it. Yeah. Right? Really good. Um, you know, there are all sorts of things. You know, it's not... The document, interestingly, in our survey, it's not the documenting so much um, that that really gets in people's way. It's a problem, um, but it's it's the stuff like the inbox and all the stuff yeah. mm -hmm. that you feel like couldn't someone else have Hand dealt with this, this normal potassium, um, and and so it's all of that stuff that after, over time, like I said. Thousand paper cuts, you know, just adds up. Yeah, the thousand paper cuts me metaphor is very powerful. It's visual and it's also tactile. You're like, ow, 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 until finally you get sepsis and die. And and I want to I want to kind of maybe wrap up this conversation thinking a little bit about. I don't want to wrap this. I'm in. Well, let's just this. keep going then. How long has this been? Are yeah, where are we? What are we at, Tom Heinver? <laughs> about an hour in. Zay. We're about an hour in. Okay. We're an hour in. I know. What happened? Oh my god. I don't know, dude. Next time we got to talk about UFOs. That's crazy. Because right? there were so many other things I wanted to say. Well, we, bring them in. Bring them in. Can I remember? Because I just wanted to ask you about like nurses, because nurses are the canaries in the coal mine mm -hmm. of our healthcare system, and they are dropping dead, uh, mm -hmm. metaphorically speaking. Yep. And uh, and their documentation burden is ridiculous. Crazy. It's crazy. Craziness. So we have to fix that in some way by changing the the, re the requirements. So you know, yeah, they're happy to have electronic records in that. Well, it's easy to read the doctor's handwriting. They're unhappy because they have to document that they documented that they documented. Yeah, and then and then we lost the connection, right? Like, um, and, and maybe that was one of the things I really liked about emergency medicine was that it's a, a team right there. Well, yeah, it's a great team, and and I I uh, had a great connection with the nurses. I felt like they were the ones who kept me out of trouble always and taught me always. Uh, yeah, al always. And and then we introduced the electronic health record. Um, and now you don't talk. And, and here, I don't, I, I don't even have to disparage any vendor because we decided to build it uh, internally. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then all of a sudden, we weren't talking to one another. Yeah. And, and by that time, I wasn't attending already. And, and um, the residents were just doing what they were told, which was to do their sign-offs, you know, using the electronic health record. Mm. But then they wouldn't follow up with the conversation with the nurse. And there's so much richness that comes from that connection. Um, and we, we lost that. Um, so... There's got to be a way to get that back. Um, I, you know, again, I'm like the no, optimist type, type of person, but um, I, I believe that there's got to be a way that technology can help us get it, get it back. Uh, yeah, and electronic silos is the technical term, I guess, for this phenomenon, yeah. that we all silo off, we don't talk anymore. This was one of the biggest changes I noticed when we went live uh, at Stanford is, oh, yeah. you know, again, these nurses that were my friends that I used to know that they would save my butt on a routine basis. And but see, here's the thing, like it's easy to, you can shower and pander to nurses all day and say how great they are. And that's like a thing to do, right? right? But what about the nurse who really needs to learn something about, you know, the management of CHF that will change how she cares for patients because she's getting it wrong. It's the, the word doctor comes from the Latin docere, which means to teach. To teach, yeah. And we have lost the ability to teach nurses and to learn from nurses, to teach each other. 
Nurse, by the way, comes from nutricia or something, which is to nurture. That I don't. Oh, is that right? It's to nurture, yeah. yeah. And, and, so, and they're very good at that, but they yeah. are also teachers. And ju but, just but like know, we're also it, nurturers. Put it together, right? Like, and and that's, the, that's the piece that once you get away from that, um, first of all, it's not as fulfilling. Right. right? But it's not as good uh, for the patient either. I think about those moments and um, in the chief medical officer role, you see a lot of different patient safety issues. And, mm. and, oh, and again, complicated, um, you, you really have to figure out what happened, but breakdown of communication is a frequent Big theme, case, right? Yeah. And, and um, just taking a little bit of time to connect with some, something. Thinking about some of my, I missed an MI once early on in my, uh, I still think about it, yeah. um, early on in my uh, career. And there were a series of reasons why that happened. And all of them were around poor communication, yeah. and that stayed with me. I mean, luckily, you know, the guy did fine, and uh, but but it was a real lesson for me, and um, and and I feel like anything that prevents us from communicating in a real way, in a substantive way, mm. uh, is bad for patients, and mm. and it's bad for the people who provide care. So. So that's the central premise of it. And again, what does it get back to? The central core of why we are who we are and what we're trying to do, which is connection. Yeah. And and that we're pack dogs, right? Yeah, we are. That's who we are. We've apparently we evolved our frontal, uh, our, all our neocortex, purely to keep track of debts we owe each other in a tribe, names, faces, kids. <laughs> is this this is, is the theory. One theory is that the reason we have this very advanced cortex, because pack animals can remember, even chimps and stuff, small numbers in the pack. We can remember about 100 to 150 tribal uh, connections mm -hmm. and keep score. Golden rule, he once took care of my kid for me. I owe him one yeah. and vice versa. And, and that's part of the reason, and we use the metaphor elephant and rider, elephant being our limbic uh, kind of emotional yeah. unconscious, yeah. makes all the decisions. But then this little guy on top of the neocortex is our rider, he's riding on the elephant. He's the one who has to explain his elephant's decision to the tribe. Yeah. So very persuasive and, and good at, at, at expressing. But we can make this guy stronger if we recognize how the mind works and recognize that we are tribal creatures who thrive on connection. And when you talk about loneliness, you're talking about a severing of, a, of, of it's like losing oxygen. Yeah. You become hypoxic. That's how humans are. You know, isolation is another driver, actually, uh, in, in burnout. Uh, one that I think um, we had an idea might be the case, but actually uh. in this survey seems to be surfacing. And, and, and people feeling isolated is a real problem, right? Yeah. Um, especially um, as you think you're a hospitalist. There was a time when folks used to come into the hospital, see their patients, but not only see their patients, right, the primary care doctors. They'd bump in other doctors, yeah. their specialists, they'd have a cup of coffee and all that. Yeah. It's been lost. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think a lot about whether or not technology can fix that. Are you familiar with Fortnite? Oh, am I familiar right, with yeah. Fortnite? Come on. <laughs> I've got a 13-year-old Tom's son. playing it right now instead of watching the show. <laughs> That's what Tom's doing right now. <laughs> Tom. Um, but, uh, you know, um, I'm from Jersey. and uh, I was born in Morristown. Oh, really? Yeah, from, we're in Jersey. I'm from a town called Oakland in Bergen County, not far. Bergen there. County. My mom worked at Bergen Pines Psychiatric. Absolutely. Wow. Oh, okay. for sure. I knew so it. My, my whole family's still there. And I have a younger brother, and his kids and my kids get along really well. Yeah. Okay. Um, but they live in Jersey and we live in Massachusetts, so they don't get to see one another. They started playing Fortnite together. Ah. Okay? They have this really cool relationship now. In fact, they game me all the time, excuse <laughs> the pun, because they uh, will come and say, well, I'm, I'm playing with Tate or Aiden. 
And oh, so it's oh, like, it's, it's okay, because so you like, guys are cousins. I'm like, right. screen time. But, but you're cousins. Yeah. But the truth is, they didn't stop there. They, they started FaceTiming with one another, oh, wow. right? So they're using technology yeah. to be deeply connected to one another. And that's pretty cool. That's right? hope. And so I think it's possible for it to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that there must be a way that technology can sort of create that community again in some way. We, we, we have a client right now who are, who are doing a virtual... Um, um, like, what was it called? A physician room or uh, oh, a lounge? Lounge. Yeah, wasn't coming to me. Yeah, like they're they're trying to figure out a way to connect people through this vir virtual lounge. It's a pretty interesting. Concept. This is fascinating because what we found it was interesting because I worked at two hospitals for most of my career, and one was uh, a place called Washington Hospital in Fremont, California, and that was a community hospital. Mm -hmm. And then we would rotate back to Stanford. Washington Hospital, being a community hospital, everybody kind of knew each other. There was a lounge, physician lounge, that was big. It had a big TV and a coffee machine and yeah. snacks. Yeah. And every single doc would station themselves there. There were computers so they could chart. But we were still on paper. But you could look at labs on the computer. Yeah. So it was perfect. You could use the computer for what doctors want, which is to acquire data. And then paper was an easy way to input data mm -hmm. because it's mm -hmm. incomplete. <laughs> you don't have to do that much. Yeah. And so it wasn't ideal from a patient's uh, quality standpoint, but it was great from a usability standpoint. And what ended up having was all these connections. So, hey, you know, bed five, uh, Mrs. Jane, you know, what do you think? You know, I know you wanted a catheter, but I'm really thinking she has GERD because the more I talk to her and that sitting there, she he would go, well, if you want me to catheter, I'm like, well, I need your help. I need your intuition to tell me, am I missing something? And he's like, okay, I'll go look at her with that in mind. And yeah. he comes back and says, it, it is GERD. Yeah. You're right, and I wouldn't have thought of it if you hadn't told me this and this. That just changed an outcome. Oh man, that makes me think of the 80 million to 140 million um, ED visits, right? Yeah. Because when we're so pressured for time and we're clicking along, you don't get that kind of leisure luxury. time. It's, yeah. a, it's a luxury to have some leisure time to just think with a colleague around what's happening with this patient. Absolutely. Right? So can technology gone. can technology give us a leisure time back by taking some of the stuff off our plate, by making us more efficient in other ways? That's the million dollar question. I hope so. Yeah, I think so actually, I do. I'm not a Luddite, you know, people are like, you're always railing about EMRs. I'm like, no, 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 because I want them to be better. Yeah, good, yeah, yeah be angry, you should yeah, be angry. Yeah. We should all be angry, I should say. Um, oh, know, don't worry, they are. <laughs> oh, they're pissed. Oh, yeah. They're yeah, going to find you on the street, Kevin Ban. <laughs> exactly. You don't publish my address, right? Uh, well, maybe. Tom, um, scratch the address from the... <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I think, I think you should have high expectations. Um, and, uh, you know, there are all sorts of ex excuses like meaningful use, and we're busy doing other things, but they're just excuses. Ultimately... Um, as this transformation occurs and as we think more about a place where an electronic health record can empower me mm. uh, instead of you know, getting in my way, um, we need to be creative and, and, and push it through. I'm excited for the future, actually, I really am. I always have been. In the depths of my burnout, I might have lost sight of it, yeah. but I'm re-inspired because I get to meet people like yourself, like people who are working in companies from the inside trying to make everything better. Were there any other things you wanted to share with us, Kevin, while you're here? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> what, what else can I tell you? I, mean, I feel like, gosh, we've been going at this like for over an hour. No, we have to have you back because this I'd was, love to come back. I actually really enjoyed this. I was a little nervous up front. Were you? Yeah. Why? We're just us. We didn't know one another. That's true. We've you, never met. And, and so we've talked before. Right. But we don't know one another. And, right. and now I, I kind of feel like, hey. How does, you know what's interesting? We get to know each other in real time on the show. 
Like people are watching connection form in real time because we only chatted briefly before the show. Yeah. So this to me is a really interesting thing because if you guys wonder like how do two colleagues and we are colleagues. I'm a hospitalist. You're an emergency doc. We admit to you know you admit to me. I come down and yell at you. <laughs> you come down and yell at me. And <laughs> right. And the, but really, we're brothers from other mothers, right? Yeah. And no, actually, uh, it's the concept of like-mindedness. Yeah. Um, and I I cannot be connected to enough like-minded people. Yeah. Uh, I always learn a lot. Like I have just in this conversation Likewise. with you. Likewise. I mean, it's it's genuinely a conversation uh, and relationship. I'd like to continue. This is the type of stuff that matters mm. um, and maybe it's in some ways um, demonstrative of what we're talking about in general about what healthcare lacks a little I, bit. I think you nailed um, it. But, but uh, yeah, so I think I was a little freaked out up front but <laughs> I feel pretty good about it now and I'd love to come back. You're a pro. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed, Kevin, and, and I've learned a lot and I'm glad that someone like you is in a leadership position and I'm glad you're continuing to do great things and I'm excited. And I'm also excited to have you back. So next time you're coming to Vegas, let me know. And we'll, we'll talk about uh, Italy. I want to talk about being a, a television news personality. And I, there's a whole list of things I want to ask you about. Cool. So do, uh, Dr. Kevin Van, uh, Chief Medical Officer of Athena Health, emergency physician, uh, former Harvard faculty, and all-around amazing guy. Thank you for being on the show, man. Thank you. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithms to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.